0: ION 2020, episode 306. Have 2020 vision with ION 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead-up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up-to-date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies, along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. Hey, what's up everybody? Ray Eaton here, your host of ION 2020. appreciate you joining me for your Monday show. It is July 20th and I appreciate all those who continue to listen out. As you guys have heard me say in the past, uh, I am appreciative to see that everybody's uh, continuing to come back and listen to the show. Every Monday and Thursday when I put it out, I've noticed the numbers continue to leap higher and higher every single week so certainly do appreciate that and appreciate those that continue to share the show those that are given five star ratings and reviews as well as those that are following on the Facebook page which is I on the empire and also checking out the website eyeontheempire.com. Um, today I wanted to make a case to you guys and I've been looking into this for a little bit and I'm just thinking about it and thinking about it and I started putting down some notes but I started looking into a few things as well. And it's the history of systemic racism in America. And a lot of us, especially libertarian types, we get, like, we don't like the term systemic racism and stuff like that um, because it's hard to define. And I don't know that there's huge amounts of systemic racism per se now except for in the criminal justice system. It seems like to me that there is, as well as with like the drug war and stuff like that, which obviously goes along with the criminal justice system. But I did want to talk about the history of it because I wanted to make the point for you to to see that the history of racism in America is not individuals being racist, which obviously there's been individuals being racist in America on, on you know, there's there's histories. I mean, the entire history of the world is racism against people that are not part of your culture, or part of your religion, or part of your um, or part of your race. <clears throat> so, what I want to make the point of is that the history of racism in America is people using government force, the monopoly that the government has on force, to institutionalize things that are taken out on certain races. Obviously, the most prime example of that is slavery at the founding of the United States when it was pretty pretty much encoded into the Constitution that you would have African Americans that were slaves be considered one third of a person. Like that was codified into into the system. Even though people were saying all men are created equal They did not put that to mean all men, all people, all human beings are created equal. Because the going statement back in those days was that maybe African-Americans or, uh, sorry, African slaves, people that come from Africa, people with dark skin, were less than human. There was that idea, especially with like the scientific, unquote, unquote, scientific community at the time, they would try to make that case. And there was people in Europe, I mean, this, the idea of, of the idea that Africans were less than human was a European idea that was spread into the United States as well uh, at the founding of the United States, I mean, even before that. So people, but what I wanted to make a case of is that the history of systemic racism is not that it's a racist government. It is the problem was, is the monopoly on force that the government has that allows people to get their will codified into the system. And then in reaction to that, the government then starts defending that system, which is wrong. But it's the monopoly on the use of violence, the monopoly on the use of force that a government has that allows those things to perpetuate themselves, and then they become protected, then they become part of society, then they become something that the people try to protect the status quo at that point, and they don't move beyond it because it's codified into the system. The first one, like I said, is slavery. The first one, like I said, is slavery. That then, and then you have with that, you have the different groups the north and the south you had the northern states that were sort of against slavery not the people but the you know the they wanted to abol there was a lot of people that were trying to abolish slavery at that point in in the north there were people that were trying to set the slaves free and so forth and those things continued to perpetuate themselves throughout history until 1965 and when they passed the amendment that made it so that slavery was legal in the united states but the problem was the power that the government had. And I just want to make that the point. Is that if there was no power that the government had that was protecting it on the federal level, then individual states could have made their own decisions at that point. But the federal government did things to perpetuate it, like the Fugitive Slave Act. And that forced the northern states to have to return slaves to the south if they were caught that was a law that was protected and then look on the state level there was laws that were passed in order to to perpetuate slavery at the state level you had laws that were passed that said that you cannot allow or teach a slave to read and that was done and people that law was passed in a lot of those states, they were the slave codes, and the reason why they were passed is because maybe some of the slave masters were looking to teach their slaves to read and that became that becomes a way for them to become more educated, and that allows those slaves to start thinking in a different way than they might have otherwise thought. They might start rebelling against their slave masters. So somebody went and lobbied to get a law passed that says slaves weren't allowed to read. Unless somebody was trying to do that in the first place, the government wouldn't try to pass a law. Unless there was people trying to teach their slaves to read, there'd be no reason to pass a law. But somebody was doing it, someone else didn't like it, so that person or that group of people or that organization goes to the government of that state and gets these laws passed in order to impose their will on society. But it's the state. It's the state that perpetuates that status quo. And that's the state that perpetuates it. And then all of a sudden, as soon as they get it codified in the law, you have the state enforcing that in its will upon the people at that point. Bad policy. But the state will still perpetuate it as long as it's on the books as a law. Absolutely terrible, right? Think about other ones that you had. You had laws that said that you could not set your slaves free. In many states, it was illegal to set your slaves free. And why would they pass a law like that? Obviously, because somebody was trying to free their slaves, and that would not perpetuate the system as it was so somebody probably wanted to set their slaves free and somebody goes to the rule makers, the law the lawmakers, and they start trying to lobby to say, you know what I don't think they should be able to set these people free because if they set theirs free, then my slaves are going to think that they want to be set free as well and we don't want rebellion on our hands so let's make a law that says that you can't set your slaves free imagine if that person had no ability to go to the government which has the monopoly on force and get that law perpetually get that law enacted then you would have slave masters like George Washington who wanted to free his slaves like a lot of these people that wanted to free their slaves that were under bound by the law that said they couldn't whether that's a good excuse or not that's another argument that they, could, that they wanted to, but they couldn't. People argue, well, if they really wanted to, they would have. They were willing to rebel against the British government. But let's talk about that on a different point. Just saying there was probably a lot of slave masters that talked about the idea of setting their slaves free, but by law, they could not. but the idea was, the reason why those laws were passed is because the other people that had their slaves, and the people that were, I mean, I'm sure the bankers were involved in it, because the bankers would finance slavery, and there was a lot of money owed to them, for slavery, so they wanted to perpetuate the system as well but the system was protected by the government so we have an argument as libertarians on a limited government idea against, like, it's Obviously, limited government says that people are free to do what they want to, but a lot of people say, oh, well, look at these libertarians, you know, they 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 would never argue against slavery and all that, obviously we do, but they, people will give us hell about, like, you hear people say, oh, well, libertarians are racist or something like that, I've heard that said before. But we have a leg to stand on in arguments for limited government with regards to, regards to this because it was powerful government that enacted these laws. It's a all-powerful government at the state level, the local level, the federal level, an unlimited government that enacted these laws and perpetuated these laws going forward. So We do have a leg to stand, or we do have a good conversation we can have with people about limited government, especially when it comes to slavery, because it was government that perpetuated this thing. It's government forces that would come to your house and fine you or arrest you if you were teaching your slaves to read, fine you or arrest you if you let your slaves gather together without a white person there. Fine you if you decide to, or arrest you if you wanted to set your free, slaves free, you couldn't do that by law. Bad laws. We need to get rid of bad laws, and that's a bad law that we got rid of, as a country. But look what the way that the Thirteenth Amendment was written. It actually said that unless or there, nobody could be forced to, into bondage. You know, but then it said unless they were convicted of a crime or something like that. So then what did they do at that point? They start finding crimes for you could, for, they would say start creating crimes in the South so that African American, like the, these do gooder politicians, because they would start creating laws that would f- be focused in on trying to figure out ways to arrest black people so they can get them arrested. Then they could be sent to the prison and then leased out to the farms for a servitude at that point. It was government that perpetuated that as well. In the absence of government, you would not have these, the ability for some person to go institute their will on the population. A racist person has no ability to institute his will upon the entire population unless they have the ability to enact laws so the systemic racism that was carried down into the end of the 19th century is a result of government and unlimited government is a result of the government's monopoly on force the ability for Me, if I wanted to, to go get laws passed and lobby to get laws passed and rationalize it in people's minds that they are willing to pass a law that would make it a crime for gathering with other white people or something like that. Like, there was all kinds of laws that were passed on the books but these, oh, a lot of the southern states Ended up having these types of things And they were laws that were passed on the books In order to, especially in the late 1800s In order to get those people arrested So that they can be put on these farms So they can then go work In servitude Because that was the law that was passed With the 13th amendment But then we start getting into Other things that the government did In order to Institutionalize racism create a systemic system of racism with unlimited government. What was the first thing they they started doing? The separate but equal laws, right? Jim Crow laws. And those things went in some places nationwide, but really hard in the South. And the Jim Crow laws, they discouraged people from voting that were African American. They discouraged people from gathering in groups. They made it so that you had to be separate at schools, separate and On the buses, separate neighborhoods, and they just, they, who was able to pass these laws through though? It was some person that is a do-gooder that's trying to, you know, keep the white race healthy or keep the, you know, keep those, you know, African Americans away from, away from white people. We can't have them mix in. Oh, then the other thing was like, you couldn't marry interracial marriage. It was illegal to marry someone of a different race. That's government enforcing those things. It gets back to it. The government monopoly on force. And those are things that are just, those are wrong. But, and we've overcome those things and quite, quite a bit. We've overcome those things in America. But those are institutionalized things that... I mean, we could talk to our friends about that and say it's not... I mean, one racist person does not get Jim Crow laws passed. But one racist person goes to Washington and gets those laws passed. And now that person has the ability... Now that person has not only himself that is enforcing those laws... Because that person would have no ability to force enforce it on their own. But they have the full power of the federal government and the state governments behind them to enforce their law. No matter how much everyone thought it was a bad law, or a lot of people probably thought it was really bad laws at the time, but those laws are on the books, and now, if you don't follow by them, if you don't abide by them, it could come down to the U.S. government, send an army to, to enforce those laws if they have to. And that's what they would do. That's what they would do. The other one that I wanted to talk about was redlining of, of neighborhoods, right? You always hear about, oh, how greedy those bankers were and how racist the banks were at the time when they were doing the redlining of these, of these neighborhoods in the 1940s, 1950s, 1960s there was one specific neighborhood that did the re- that the it was the first neighborhood that was like a suburban neighborhood it wasn't really the first neighborhood that was a suburban neighborhood but it was like a it was a the first like it was a humongous neighborhood that was built on long island and i wish i could remember the name of that specific neighborhood but it was built in in Long Island, and I'll have to actually look it up because I want to make sure that I get this exactly right for you guys, so that you guys will know exactly what I'm talking about. Because it's a very interesting story of the way that the redlining happened. So that was a neighborhood called Levitt Town in Long Island. It was in New York, and it was that's widely recognized as the first modern American suburb. And what this guy did that came out there is uh, Levitt and Sons Construction Company, and uh, they purchased a seven square mile plot of land. Uh, it was a potato farm and an onion farm. And people always talk about how this Levitt guy, Mr. Levitt, was a huge bigot and a racist. And how he put into the homeowners association, essentially, into the deed of the community that you could not sell a house to a black person. <clears throat> and they were saying that that all, all, during that time, since that neighborhood would not sell a house to a black person, a lot of white people started leaving the projects, leaving the New York City apartments that were built, and moving to Levittown because they were able to get a low-cost home. I think the homes would sell for about the equivalent of like a hundred thousand dollars today. And in those days, that was a really really nice home. You know, you have a nice two-bedroom, one-bath home or three-bedroom, two-bath home, and they were nothing on the on the par of what we have today with like McMansions and all that. But they were pretty nice homes. And even to this day, they're pretty nice homes. They sell for three to three hundred fifty thousand dollars for a small, modest home that was built in the nineteen forties and nineteen f- forties. But it was for the military guys that were coming back from the army, and they knew that they would be able to sell these homes pretty quick. So, Levin and Sons Construction—they designed they design this neighborhood. They go to the. They, they go out to a bunch of banks they're trying to get the funding for they're trying to get the ability to offer loans to people in order to sell these homes to them and nobody, none of the banks would go along with it so Mr. Levitt, he goes to the Federal Housing Housing and Urban Development, HUD and he says, hey, I have this neighbor that I'm building here's a design for it here's the houses that we're going to be building I would really love to be able to offer loans to all these people, especially the service members that are coming back from the, from the, from the war. A lot of times there zero was down, zero down payment, especially if they're coming back from the war. And the housing and urban development, HUD actually made, even though Mr. Levitt was personally a racist and a bigot, he did not have the power at all on his own to say, I'm not going to lease these out to African-Americans or black people. But it was the Housing and Urban Development, HUD, the federal government, that required it in the paperwork that he would not sell a house to black families. So that's how it got into the code of Levittown, and you always hear about how racist he was, and he put that in there. And yes, while he may have been a racist, I don't know the guy. While he may have been a bigot, I don't know the guy. HUD actually is the one that put that in there. The, the federal government is the one that put that in there to make it so that African Americans cannot buy a house in Levittown. And a lot of neighborhoods followed a lot of the suburbs that were built around the entire country followed the same formula that and son's construction followed in order to build the suburban neighborhoods of the 50s and 60s is they knew in order to go to HUD to get these loans approved that they would have to have it written into their bylaws that there would be no black families that were able to purchase these homes. Is that amazing? You never hear that story, though, do you? But that was institutionalized racism. That was institutionalized racism. That was created by the government. One person does not have the ability to enforce their racist views on the population unless they have the government there to enforce those views upon their population. And that, my friends, is the problem. The problem is not the racist individual. The problem is the government and that racist person's ability to codify their views into the government. And that's why we need limited government. We need a government that does so little that it can't be racist, that racist people cannot get their laws passed. That is what we need. That's a good argument for limited government. Because look how much laws have held down an entire group of people. To the point where they couldn't even get a home. To the point where all those people leave the cities and then you know they, they crowd everybody. You get the segregation on its own because all the white people were able to leave and go to Levittown not all of them I mean, there was 15,000 homes or something like that but a lot of other suburban neighborhoods started developing at that time and you had the white flight idea the whites were fleeing the cities why did the white flight happen? it wasn't because they were all a bunch of racists it's because they were able to get these low interest loans from the federal government to get out into the, into the suburbs who would not want to get into the suburbs? But if those laws weren't on the books, I'm sure the, there would have been black and white flight at that point. And that's, the, that, that's what we need to really push, is the idea that limited government is good for all people. Limited government is great for all people. We don't need the government to be all-encompassing, because then when it does, it allows a person that wants power over others. Whether it's good power or bad power, I don't know. I'm not going to decide what a person individually wants to do, because black people have really good intentions, don't they? They really do have good intentions. A lot of times, though, those good intentions blow up in other people's face. And the good intentions of the the person who, in their mind, thinks that they're trying to keep white people separate from black people or something like that, they get the that, that group of people that had that view are able to get these separate but equal Jim Crow laws passed. Those types of people were able to get slavery enacted on the books, get laws that said that slaves cannot read, laws that says that slaves cannot gather in groups without a white person there, laws that said you can't free your slaves, laws that said that you couldn't sell a house to a black person. But we need to get rid of those laws. I won't say it any more forcefully that we need to get rid of those laws and get rid of the ability for the government to have that much power that it can pass those laws. And that's what it comes down to. Um, that's all I really got for you guys today. I appreciate you joining me, man. Um, this was a kind of a touchy subject. I haven't really tried to talk about like racism by any means for a while because it's just been a th- something that's been focused on in the press, and there's a lot of people are taking things that are, I don't know, just way to the wrong extreme right now. And I think that limited government, I mean, I always make the case for limited government, libertarians, we have, we own that. We own that word, limited government. Limited government is good. It's good for all people. Let people peacefully interact. They will. This Levitt and Sons guy, if he wasn't selling, to black, selling houses to black people, some other person would have. But everyone followed that template that he set up because that's what the housing and urban development forced him to do or told him to do. So everyone else followed that as well. And the housing and urban development would not guarantee loans to black people. It's amazing, right? Why should the federal government even be involved in housing? The federal government was not involved in housing before World War II. And that is what caused that that's what caused the redlining. There's a lot of other things that the government has done in order to enforce its will upon people. So let's limit government to the point where you can't have that. And then people will freely trade amongst each other, and everyone will benefit from it. Everyone. So, hey guys, thanks for joining me though. I appreciate it. Uh, keep on listening, and you can do that every Monday and Friday, or Monday and Thursday when I put out the show. Uh, subscribe if you like the show, and then come on back on Thursday so you can have clear vision for 2020.